Hello, and welcome to another episode of Daily American Presses Chatting with Abby. It is getting so close to Christmas. We are nine days away from Christmas, and I am so excited. I I love Christmas. I love the whole season and the whole aesthetic and feeling of the season. I I really start celebrating right after <laughs> right after Halloween. And I don't even take a break for Thanksgiving because for me, Thanksgiving is part of the whole thing. It has the same feeling, that same warm, family-oriented, food-based, communal, generous feeling of Christmas. And I, I really just like the whole season. Uh, a lot of people like to have it just more restricted to Advent, and that's that's completely valid, but I, I just love the whole season. But let's dive into topics. My biggest topic for today is student debt forgiveness. Now, Joe Biden ran in part on a platform that included forgiving student debt, student debt relief. And just this past week, uh, he informed us all that he would not be pushing for any type of student debt relief while in office, at least not this term. And a lot of people were very mad because that's why they voted for him. Now, I completely agree that <laughs> that we shouldn't have any student debt relief. And and here's why. <laughs> I, I got a college degree and I have some student debt for it. I was 18 when I made that choice. I was given the price. I agreed to the price. I signed my name to a piece of paper that said I would be paying that money back. Everyone who has student debt signed their name to a piece of paper saying they would be paying that money back. And then I received the service that I paid for. No one else received that service. I received that service. So even if it was a mistake, even if I have regrets about that choice, why should somebody else pay for it? I received the service. It was my mistake to make. I made it. I don't, I don't think my degree was a mistake. But, but even if that's how people feel, who should pay it except for them? And that's the thing about calling it student debt forgiveness. The left likes to pick words that muddy the truth. It's not like the debt is just disappearing. It's being absorbed by taxpayers. The government has already paid that money. It's already out of their hands. It was already taxpayer money to begin with that was lent to the student. And then if the student doesn't pay it back, that's just absorbed. That's just money that's completely gone. And then that means that for a service that I received, some other schmuck had to pay for it out of his hard-earned dollars. And that's not remotely just. Now, all that said, I do think that there is a conversation to be had about the kind of college higher education grift. Now, I don't think every degree and every piece of higher education is a grift, but I do think there's a large amount of it that is. Um, and this is not even including the, the way that universities indoctrinate kids into leftist ideologies. That's a whole nother conversation. But just from the start, the degree, this, your standard degree is so much more expensive than, than it's worth. You get out of, if, if you paid full price for college or even a reduced price with some scholarships, you get out 
you're going to have monthly payments that are rivaling your rent on a entry-level job position because no one gets out even with a degree and this is the the big lie and that that you're going to get out and you're going to be able to get a job that is that pays enough to pay for that student loan because what happens is that kids get out of college and they get at best they get an entry-level position in their field most of the time they don't even make it into their field at first because their field wants people with experience not just a degree so they have to go and they have to work food service or they have to work outside of their field to build experience and then finally get into the first entry-level position in their field so it takes a long time before they can get to the point where they can even start to pay for their degree and rent, which is why so many kids move back home because rent is so expensive and the student loan is so expensive and the cost of living is so expensive. And people of my generation and, and the younger generations after get a lot of flack for being entitled. And, and that may be true, but a lot of it too is from the very beginning of their educations, our educations, we were set up with an expectation that if we invested all that money into our degree, then we'd be set for life. We were told by the adults in our lives that we were supposed to be able to trust from the beginning of high school, work hard, get good grades so you can get into a good college. And you have to go to college so that you won't be poor and so that you can build a good life. And even if you can't afford it, that's what student loans are for. You'll be able to pay them off. It's fine. And Fortunately for me, I had a, a couple adults in my life who were like, be careful with student debt, try to avoid it as much as possible. But a lot of kids don't have that. Their, their school counselors are pushing them. The, the adults, I had adults in my church who were pushing me to go to college, who were telling me I would never succeed if I didn't go to college. Um, there was one man in particular, loved him to death, but every single Sunday he'd be like, stay in school, Abby, stay in school, go to college, stay in school, go to college. And there was never an admission that there would be jobs out there that would be sufficient for a good life uh, that, that wouldn't require a degree. There are tons of jobs that don't require a degree. But I think that it is only recently that we as a society have started to wake up to realize that degrees are just pieces of paper. It doesn't even guarantee that someone is a good employee and that experience is more valuable. But to this day, almost every job that I have applied for requires a degree, asked for a degree in the application process. Now, the job itself does not require a degree. Very little of what I learned in college do I actually have to use in my job, but the companies require a degree regardless. It's a way for them to weed out employees. My first first um, like receptionist position that I had required a degree and I applied for it anyway because I only had half of one. I had only been in school two years and they made an exception for me, which was amazing. But I technically wasn't qualified for that job and I took a chance applying for it in the first place. So I think it is important in the conversation to be honest that for a long time my generation was lied to and and about student debt being worth it and that 
yes, an 18-year-old is absolutely responsible for the money that they signed their name to pay. But at the same time, not many 18-year-olds are in a position to be questioning what the adults in their life that they trust have said to question the entire narrative that they've been fed from the beginning of high school to work hard, get good grades, go to college, whether or not you can afford it. Now, here's my, here's my story. I knew that my parents weren't going to be able to help me financially with college. I knew that from the get-go. So I worked really hard with the view of trying to get scholarships, and I got a lot of scholarships. My grandmother was also able to help. Um, I think she ended up giving me 15000 maybe even $20,000 over the course of the four years, which is incredible. Um, not many people, a lot of people don't have a family member who's able to do that for them. But I was the only person, like my sister didn't get that same amount. Um, she didn't end up going to college at all, but that's neither here nor there. For my first two years of college, despite all of the scholarships and despite the money my grandmother gave, I still ended up taking out $25,000 in, in student debt. I didn't see another way forward. I believed that I needed a degree in order to succeed. So that's what I did. I lived on campus, ate overpriced campus food. Oh, campus rooms on campus are way more expensive than they need to be. Everything about college is so expensive. Um, I was paying $11 a meal for, for college food. That's ridiculous. But I wasn't allowed to cook in my dorm. There's no way to cook in my dorm. So it took me two years to get to a point where A, I could see what the problem was and how to save money, and B, to have the wherewithal to find myself a place to live off campus that was cheaper, to be able to buy and cook my own food there, and to get a full-time job that was flexible enough to allow me to pay out of pocket for the rest of my college. So instead of taking out loans for my second half of college, I paid $750 a month on top of my rent out of pocket in order to not take on additional debt for my last two years. I didn't breathe for those two years. I was going to school full-time. I was working full-time. My margins were very slim financially, but it, it worked out. Um, and that's how I got my degree. Now I've been paying down the loan. It's getting smaller all the time, but it still exists. Um, it'll, it'll probably be gone by the time I'm 30, but I have friends who are 40 who are still trying to pay their student loans. And that's, that's crazy to me. People who, people who invested in their degree in good faith who probably never would have made that same decision had they had they really known how things were going to be. At 18, you don't know what the job market looks like. You don't know what rent looks like. You don't know what car payments look like. So I think that there is a lot of misleading, um, dishonest marketing by, by colleges and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of the whole system by, by parents 
and and people in society who don't understand that college isn't as cheap as it was even by percentage to when they were young and they worked hard to get through college i was reading on twitter earlier today that in 1990 you could go to a whole semester of college for $800 and i'm thinking i paid i paid nearly that every month for the same degree it is it is so wildly inflated that i think that the people who young people are leaning on to help them make these huge life decisions don't understand the cost that they are encouraging kids to take on um on top of that there is a stigma against still in society there's a stigma against people who don't go to college my husband is currently working on his degree but um for a couple years he was just working full-time he he went right into the workforce after high school and he got even his family members were unkind to him about that decision and put him down for that decision to not go to go to college so I think there's a whole conversation to be had about kind of some of the injustices in this whole in this whole scenario and I think as conservatives one of our fatal flaws is a lack of empathy the left is really good at saying this is a problem look at look at all the here's all the feelings regarding this problem feel bad about it feel bad about it okay now now here's our solution and their solution of course is absolutely terrible will not actually even fix the problem and it's just a mess however I don't understand why conservatives can't find common ground in saying, yes, we agree this is a problem, and we too can empathize about this problem. I don't think that we need to respond with, oh, sucks to be you, every time that we hear about misfortune or injustice. I think that, I mean, there's definitely topics um, like systemic racism, where we can disagree about about the problem itself, for sure. But then there are other topics like how wildly expensive medical care is and and medications and and any type of hospital service how just wildly inflated those prices are some of the injustices in the insurance the whole medical insurance system i don't understand why conservatives can't say hey we agree with you that there's something wrong here let's work together to fix it we don't agree with your solution but here's some solutions that we see because we have this huge divide between parties where we absolutely there are situations there are certain things where we could absolutely be working together if we weren't so stubborn and contrarian where instead of saying being willing to say yes i agree with you that there's a problem here we would rather just say no to everything the other side says yes to to say the opposite of the other side every single time there are topics on which whenever I try to agree with something the left has said, I agree that despite the fact that I like Trump as a president, that I think he did, he did a good job in his job, I think he's uh, kind of an asshole and, and kind of arrogant and that he made some poor choices. If I say anything like that, on Twitter, I get shredded. I drop followers. If I say on Twitter what I just said about student loans, I get shredded. I drop followers. Um, And it's not all about followers, of course. 
But anytime I step out of line, anytime I suggest that something someone has heard from the left might be true, might be worth talking about, might be worth admitting, I get shredded. It's it's like we can't even have a conversation. We can't even try to find common ground. We can't even try to find solutions because the conversation is shut down from the get-go. On the right, and we talk so much about how the left censors things and the left shouts down people they don't want to hear, but the right does the same thing. Maybe we're not doing it on the scale of Twitter censoring accounts, partially because we can't. (laughs) We don't, we're not in charge of Twitter. I don't know what we would do if we were in charge of Twitter. I like to think that we wouldn't be censoring people, but honestly, the way that I get shouted down, if I step one toe out of line, out of the Trump is Jesus narrative or the student debt is every kid's damn fault narrative or any of those narratives, I, I get shredded and It's frustrating that we can't have conversations and it's frustrating that I do think that that's why our country is is falling apart because we can't have conversations with people and we can't work with people and it's because of our own stubbornness. We can't blame the division in the country solely on the left. Like it's absolutely coming from us too. But anyway, that is, that's my whole take on student debt forgiveness Um, I want to briefly mention the terrible tornadoes in the Midwest that happened this week. Um, because I just found it interesting, a huge loss of life, incredibly tragic. And of course, the left immediately jumped to blaming it all on climate change. Now that doesn't even stack up. It doesn't stack up. Um, of course, tornadoes like that aren't super common. But if you look at the last 60 years in that region, they do happen. And they have been happening with some regularity for the last 60 years. We just have short memories and a short news cycle and we don't remember the last time it happened. Um, but it, it, it has happened um, several times in the last 60 years. I think with anything big like that, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, natural disasters, or even pandemics. Now, COVID is a little bit different because I really do think that that was created in a lab and released possibly on purpose. But in general, when something huge happens that really challenges our our precious belief that we have some control over, over the world and our experience in it, something that reminds us of the uncomfortable truth that we are tiny little fragile lives that can be taken out at a moment's notice by wind, <laughs> by weather. Um, it's really scary to admit your human fragility like that. And I think that that, that is the primary motivating factor beyond just incessant political agenda and trying to find any reason to further your political agenda. Beyond that, I do think it's just this fear of mortality is what it comes down to. And I think that's driving a lot of the COVID panic um, and the COVID control and overreach in individuals. And it's driving some of that blaming everything on climate change thing. So I thought that was something to mention. And then Finally, I want to move on to my last and most important topic, which is whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie.
because that is really that is really the issue of our time this week my friend phil on twitter his handle is holson krieger <laughs> um i'll spell that for you later but he tweeted this horrible tweet about about die hard here it is Saying Die Hard is a Christmas movie is like saying you were celebrating Christmas just because the whorehouse you visited on December 25th had decorations up and was playing carols while you were doing lines off a hooker's backside. Thank you for that, Phil. That was really wholesome. I appreciate that. (laughs) I got Phil's um, permission to, to read this and talk about this on the podcast. So thank you for that, Phil. Um... I think that this argument <laughs> is is silly, but I think the basis of this argument is saying just because something ha- has the trappings of a Christmas movie doesn't make it a Christmas movie. And I I disagree with that right off the right off the top. I think it comes down to how do you define a Christmas movie? Do you define a Christmas movie by genre? Do, do all Christmas movies have to be rom-coms? Do they, do they all have to be children's movies? Do they all have to be like animated Rudolph? Does the entire plot have to be about Christmas? Is it about the aesthetic? Is it about, is it about how it makes you feel? Is it about the theme? Um, themes of, of, of family, themes of coming together, themes of generosity, perhaps. Um, does, does Christmas have to be essential to the plot to make it a Christmas movie? I think Die Hard hits a lot of these points. Die Hard is an action movie. So already, as a genre, it's not falling into your typical Christmas movie genre. Typically, Christmas movies are either rom-coms, comedies or children's movies. Um, And and pretty much all of the famous Christmas movies are falling into one of those. Um, And maybe not even a romantic comedy, but just a a romance drama. Like, I think It's it's a Wonderful Life, I wouldn't really categorize as a a rom-com, but it's definitely a Christmas movie. Um, So Die Hard is an action movie, but, but it being an uncommon genre for a Christmas movie shouldn't automatically disqualify it even though the genre is going to feel different, it's not going to feel quite like a holiday rom-com would. As far as the aesthetic goes, the Christmas aesthetic is all over Die Hard. The, the whole hotel is decked out. Um, we keep being reminded throughout that it's Christmas time. Um, there are a lot of those same themes in Die Hard that are in any classic holiday movie, those themes of family, themes of, of coming together and forgiveness and all of this with, um, with that family. Is Christmas essential to the plot in Die Hard? I I think so. And it's, it's about as essential as, as most Christmas movies in the sense that most Christmas movies, they rely on Christmas to the, to some extent, because there's usually some sort of travel to get home to family going on. And sure, in a lot of them, you could sub out a different holiday or you could sub out a vacation and and make it work. But the events in Die Hard don't happen without Christmas. It's it's, people are there at the building late because of the holiday party. He's he's um, he's trying to there's a lot of things and plot points are, are built around the fact that it's Christmas. 
So I think what it comes down to is die hard doesn't make people feel Christmassy. Or it doesn't make some people feel Christmassy. It doesn't feel like a Christmas movie to to some people. Ah, it, to, it makes me feel the Christmas spirit. I think it makes a lot of people feel the Christmas spirit. But I think that the people who argue that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie are ultimately defining Christmas movies are arbitrarily by whether they feel like Christmas movies to them, which I think is a, is a silly, arbitrary standard. So there, Phil, you're silly. I have debunked your, your tweet. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha. Um, you should definitely not go follow Phil on Twitter at Holtzen Krieger. That's at H. O-L-Z-E-N-K-R-I-E-G-E-R. Don't go follow him because he tweets horrible things about Christmas movies. The other thing about this tweet is that in in the scenario, you're, you happen to go to a whorehouse on, on Christmas and they happen to be decorated for Christmas, but you're not celebrating Christmas, obviously. Or maybe you are. I mean, why else would you go to a whorehouse on Christmas? I mean, what else would you be doing on Christmas except for celebrating Christmas? But anyway, anyway, the creators of Die Hard didn't just accidentally walk onto a set that was decorated with with Christmas stuff. They they put the Christmas stuff on the set on purpose to make it a Christmas movie. And I, I would argue that any movie that's set at Christmas time, that has Christmas as part of the plot, that that has the trappings of Christmas, has the Christmas lights, has the decorations, is a Christmas movie. Even if that's a small element in the story. And even if, I think another part of it is Die Hard is not a movie where you, it's so Christmassy that you don't feel like you could watch it in another time of year. Like the Grinch is so Christmassy that it's not, it's really only a movie you pull out once a year right? You only watch it during Christmas. And Die Hard, you could really watch any time of the year and it's fine. So if that's your argument, I can, I can kind of understand it. But at the same time, I think that that's, that's also arbitrary. Some things feel more Christmassy to you and, and that's going to be different from person to person. And, and there's no, I think if you're going to make a, a claim that Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. You need a a fairly arbitrary standard by which to define what a Christmas movie is. If someone can offer that, uh, challenge me. Challenge me on Twitter. Tag me in your stuff. I will. I would love to see it. <laughs> so yeah, definitely don't go follow Phil. He doesn't want you to follow him. So so don't follow Phil, you guys. <laughs> um, and with that. With that right there, I will leave you. It's been fun. Let me know what you think. All right, bye-bye.